In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we were having microphone problems with the reading of the gospel, I'm just going to give you a short recap because it's important to setting up my sermon, and I, I just want to make sure that we all heard uh, the gospel reading today, especially for those who are watching online today. So this is the gospel of the prodigal son. We have um, a, a man who had two sons. One squandered what he was given and lived a, a life of ill repute. Um, the other son spent all his days doing everything that was uh, asked of him and and so uh, the brother, the other brother who squandered everything comes back and um, he is repentant and the father says, oh, we are going to throw this big party for you even though you have done all of these horrible things with everything that's been given to you. The other brother is like, wait a minute, why, why are you doing that? I've done everything right and you've never done anything like that for me and yet here my brother comes back, the one who has squandered everything and you're throwing him a party, what's the deal? So that is basically the gospel in a nutshell. Okay. Churches and church leaders fall into a trap quite often when they say, how can we attract new people? As if we are a theme park uh, or some sort of other kind of attraction or as if people are just out there waiting for the church to be more attractive and then I'll come. Then I'll wake up on Sunday and I'll come. Just you guys gotta be a little more attractive. Well, we all know that church attendance is way down all over the place, uh, and this isn't just because of COVID, but COVID didn't help a lot of that. Uh, but it's easy to fall into the trap of, we've got to do something to attract people. Well, there's a YouTube video that came out last year from the BBC called God and Robots. And the uh, sub subsection of that title was, Will AI, Artificial Intelligence, Transform religion. Of course, I had to watch that. And it was about the use of robots in religious settings. And it seems that robots are being tested in places of worship. Uh, like in Japan, there's a 400-year-old there's a monastery where there's a robot who teaches and preaches about Buddhism. And the human monk that is there, he likes this robot because he says the robot will never die. The robot will just keep, you know, taking a licking and going on ticking. Well, some young people said that it was a good way to pass on Buddhism to the younger generation. There's a robot in Poland named Santo, and Santo is the first Catholic robot who is programmed to know all of church history and dogma according to the Catholic Church. Now, some felt that these robots are being used to make religious information more available and to spur attendance. They thought it was great. Can you think of how great the publicity would be to say, yeah, that's the church, St. Edmund's on the corner with the cool robot. You can talk to the robots about an issue and you are that you are having, and then, and then these robots, they figure out kind of, you know, through algorithms and things, the piece of scripture to, to, speak, it, to speak back to you, or, or they give you kind of general advice. And one robot actually gave the people individual blessings. Now, some saw this as the divine speaking through the robot, and some, as you can imagine, said the opposite, that there is a human factor which is very important in the communication of faith. A supporter compared this technology to the printing press that was invented in the 15th century as a way to further influence the relationship of people with God. 
Now, who am I to say how God may speak to us, ultimately? But I ask you, do you want to be known as the church whose pastor is always glitching? Think about that. But the one critic I mentioned was perceptive when he said that there is a human factor which is important to faith. A robot has no soul. But you can also see the attraction to the robot because no one said the robot was too challenging or annoying. Because as the humanity is missing from the robot, we become aware that it is the human factor that puzzles us and forces us to struggle. Let's face it, human beings annoy us. Human beings annoy us, and we are challenged by people a lot of the times. And I wonder if we are just looking for an easier way to bypass humanity, and specifically the human failings that we have ourselves and that we have with each other. Wouldn't it be easier just to bypass humanity? I'm sure you have uh, kids or teenagers or grandkids or know of other children who walk around with their faces glued to their iPads or iPhones, engaged in a game that they are playing, usually with a computer-generated opponent. Not always, but a lot of the times. And it's a fight sometimes to get them to put the devices down and go out and play with other kids, figure out how to interact. Devices are so much easier. It's easier to bypass humanity. Because humanity is flawed, humans trouble us, they challenge us. However, humans also in the end make us better humans. Because it is in the struggle with each other where we experience God, always showing us how to be better, how to be more evolved, and ultimately how to experience joy and love. The gospel today, the parable of the prodigal son, shows us that despite the disappointment we may have toward those we love when they stray or cause us grief and possibly harm, that reconciliation is possible as the father welcomes home his son who betrayed all sense of trust and responsibility. But we also see the very human frustration of the brother who isn't so forgiving. The brother who says, now wait a minute, I've done everything right, and yet you, Father, you seem to not remember how irresponsible my brother has acted. He has shamed the family and gone against all that we as a people stand for. And we understand this, don't we? When someone we love acts against our own moral philosophy, we all have been given the families we have been given. Our parents, our children, our siblings, they may not behave as we wish, and we may not behave as they wish. And it's a struggle. No matter how much we impose our philosophy on them, they will not always agree or abide. And we must figure out a way to live with the choices that they have made, and they have to live with the choices that we make, no matter if we agree or not. How do we do this? Well, today we look at the Father's actions, and, and perhaps we can step away for a bit from our own relationships and things that are going on in our own lives, and concentrate first on this parable as one that is more focused on God's relationship with us. God, as represented here by the Father, 
in the parable, and we are the prodigal sons and daughters, the one who strays, the one who goes off on their own. We find, who find ourselves wallowing around in mud at times, the one who feels lost, rejected, abandoned, unworthy of love, and perhaps alone in our despair. The message today is a simple one. God is standing out in the field waiting for us all to come home. Can you remember a time when perhaps you or your parent did that, stood on the doorstep with a big smile, watching as you parked your car out front? Maybe it had been a while since you visited last. Sure, there were times when you fought and you disagreed, but all, all that was wiped away in that moment because they were standing there smiling and waiting for you with anticipation and love, waiting for your arrival. Maybe it was Thanksgiving, maybe it was Christmas, and you were welcomed home, the past forgotten, for that one moment as you hugged. In that moment, the chance, the hope to start anew as you were welcomed home, it was there. It was there in that moment. Maybe you didn't see it. Maybe you, maybe you did. Maybe it only lasted one minute. Maybe your experience is not with a parent, but a sibling or a friend. The point I'm making is that with those whom we love, those who are the most closest to us, there is an unconditional love that is present and that takes over, even if it's just for a moment where we hope and pray and feel that no matter what, we are welcome home into the arms of unconditional love. It is in this moment of unconditional love that we are directed to today because it is in this moment of unconditional love where the chance to start anew begins and it is in this unconditional love that is sparked that reminds us of God's love for us. God, like our loved one, stands on the porch waving and smiling, who opens up arms and says, welcome home, my daughter. Welcome home, my son. Welcome home. It doesn't mean that struggle will never happen again, but it means that regardless of how often we hit rock bottom or stray from God, we will always be welcomed home. God never leaves us. We leave God. And that is the important part to remember today. God has made a covenant with us that is spent on us, and, and we are able to practice this unconditional love to the others around us who aren't related to us, the ones whom the Pharisees reject, the ones with whom Jesus dines. I realize that there may be people in our lives who will never accept the unconditional love that we have given and that reconciliation is not possible. But the hard work of humanity is to struggle with how to live with the other, how to live with disappointment, with people who don't think like us. Our family units, whether by blood or our families of choice, have been called by some the domestic church because this is where we are called to live out what theologian Wendy Wright calls the mysteries of faith, hope, love, and forgiveness. We work this out daily in our families. In fact, she's written a wonderful book called Seasons of a Family's Life, one which asks us to contemplate the spirit and mysteries of God, 
within our own homes and family units. God calls each of us home constantly with open arms. And Jesus instructs us, instructs us of this throughout scripture, of a true and lasting peace that forces us to work with other humans, to disarm the barriers of our hearts, to remember those moments of unconditional love and allow them to expand our perceptions and to be transformed. Love others as God loves us. It's simple. Humans need humans in order to grow in the love of Christ. Humans need humans in order to understand the immeasurable, immeasurable amount of love that is possible. God is able to forgive the prodigal son to such an extent because God in the end, as we will see on Good Friday, takes the totality of human sin upon God's own self. And that is an amazing concept because it means that we are worthy of such immense love and we own this love and accept this love by making our way back home. And as an aside, I want to address an email that was sent to me uh, a couple of days ago and it was a, uh, an article that was forwarded to me and the title of the article was God has left Mariupol, the city in Ukraine that is being bombarded. And the question that was asked by one of the parishioners who sent me this um, email was, how do you address this? <laughs> how do you address this? And I, I address this by saying that God never leaves us. We leave God. And there are people out there that are making evil choices. And when we make evil choices, God is not in, their heart, in our hearts. But think about all the people who are striving for peace and all the people who are risking their lives and all the people who are, are, are giving money and time and, and they're there on the border giving food to the refugees and actually risking their lives taking food into the cities of Ukraine. God is with them. God is in their hearts. God has not left Ukraine. And I know that that's a hard thing to think about, but Evil wants us to ask the question, where is God? Because evil wants us to reject God. And we have to sometimes work harder. We have to work harder. But God does not leave us. We leave God. And those who make the choices that they make for destruction and evil are not allowing God into their own heart. So we continue to work and we do what we do as human beings for other human beings. And that's what we're here for. So back to the robots. Paul says today that we are to regard no one from a human point of view. That even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. Paul is not saying that we disregard humanity and our humanness. Paul is saying that we can no longer see ourselves separate from Christ, from God's unconditional love and the sacrifice that God shows us with Christ to reveal this love. We are more human when we live in this love, that this love, when it is expressed from hum human to human, is ultimate, ultimately the new creation that is promised. If we can do this with other humans, if we can't do this with other humans, not yet, not yet, then we start with God. If we are unable to handle that annoying human being that comes into our life, start with God first. 
Gimmicks to attract others into our homes, into our churches, into our hearts, and into our relationships may be, may be cool for a while. I kind of want to see the chanting monk. But gimmicks don't last. What does last is the everlasting, ever-flowing, and ever-free love of God calling us home, welcoming us, God standing there on the porch waiting for us with great love and with great anticipation to, to drive up waiting to envelop us no matter what, with open arms. Amen.